Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. Tonight we had self-proclaimed barley nerd Dale Riggins in the house from Whiskey Del Bach in Tucson, Arizona. That's right, the Hamilton Distillery in Tucson. We tried their classic. We tried their mesquite smoked whiskey called Dorado. We tried their cask strength and their clear whiskey, which is also smoked with that Arizona mesquite. Totally unique, amazing craft distillates here. Check it out. We hope you enjoy this podcast and please drink responsibly. I mean it. We did pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty well. Sometimes it's not so good. Sometimes I can tell everyone had a, a day off today because everyone's so fresh. I can clap two hands together. I can do this. Sometimes it's not like that. We come no. to the end of our money. It's like we're people are missing. We're slapping each other. Struggle. It's like, yeah, it's really hard. Like, but we do have a really unique whiskey in the house tonight, um, and it's going to be a really fun education. Uh, so please give it up for Miss Dale Riggins from Del Bach Whiskey. So Hamilton Distillery or Hamilton Distillers yes. is what this company's called. Now my understanding is you guys used to make furniture. We did, what? yeah. What? So we How were... did that happen? Is, does the whiskey smell? Does the furniture smell like whiskey? Like a lot of drinking yes, going on in that actually, furniture Actually, yeah, it's pretty saturated. Um, so our our owner was a master woodworker for about thirty years before we opened up shop. So. The idea to mesquite smoke barley came from him taking mesquite scraps home over the weekend that they couldn't use for furniture. Um, and they would barbecue over them, so obviously one thing led to another. And over some scotch one night, he and his wife had the idea to create more of a southwestern terroir-driven distillate. Uh, and 11 years later, here we are. Genius. Crazy. I love it. I love it, right? <laughs> nice. And so, um, but the, the, the furniture company itself kind of had an interesting angle because they were actually using like recovered wood to make their furniture initially is that right they're using like yes. scrap from the desert kind of the idea or like or a very it's a very sustainable tract it's a very of wood. sustainable tract of wood so uh has anyone been to arizona i know you have <laughs> yeah. i, I love arizona i just like to go through like at 100 miles per hour oh. i'm kidding i'm kidding no, but Tucson's great. My mom, my mom used to live in Tucson. Yeah, right? Awesome, awesome. It's rad. So, yeah, so mesquite is extremely prolific in the Southwest and specifically in Arizona, and it is basically a weed. Uh, mesquite trees can grow to full, full maturity within three to five years, so they're everywhere. So we're using velvet mesquite and Chilean mesquite. Those are the two species that we use to smoke our barley. And they're literally everywhere. You chop one down and another one is already, there's a nurse plant underneath it that's already like halfway grown. So it's extremely sustainable. Uh, we're not deforesting any bosques. If anything, we're kind of helping uh, to create more accessibility throughout the, uh, the desert. So um, yeah, we're lucky in that, in that vein, for sure. But in order to get that mesquite smoke into the barley that you're using for your whiskey, you have to do in-house malting and smoking. That and that's correct. really super rare in the whiskey business nowadays. In fact, it like is. Springbank Scotch is one of the few, like kind of like they get their own grain, they smoke it all in-house, they get all the way to making their scotch all with that. Most everyone's using malting houses. And when we talk about scotch, uh, they're buying from one or two or three different little malting houses or big malting houses that will create the level of smokiness for whatever grain they're using. But you guys are all doing this 
in-house. It's all in-house. So, so can you explain what kind of apparatus you're using to do that? Oh, um, so it, it is very rare, and we're actually one of 13 distilleries in the world that can claim that we do malt and distill 100% of our own product. Um, and the reason for that is obviously the creative integrity of what we're making. Uh, we were the first people to start mesquite smoking malt, and uh, after that, some of the larger malt houses, like Bree, started releasing a mesquite smoked uh, malt. It definitely is not quite the same. Mesquite is expensive when it's not growing in your backyard. So I think we did try to use some of their stuff just to see how it compared, and I think they're cutting it back with a little bit of maple, maybe some cherry, um, but it doesn't it doesn't quite stay the same. So. Uh, we have created a variety of uh, pieces of equipment. Um, our malting and germination kiln is one of a kind in the world. Uh, it kind of looks like the spaceship from Forbidden Planet, if any of you guys like old movies. Um, it's pretty similar to it. Uh, and basically what we're doing is, is everybody caught up on malting and what malting actually is? Just for fun, I'm gonna, do you mind? Yeah, really, please, no. really fast. Yeah. So uh, every distillate that you've ever had obviously starts off as a beer or a wine. We have to ferment to create the alcohol before we are able to distill it off and make a distillate. So in whiskey's case, it's beer that we start off with. Now we get these barley seeds and they're chock full of starch, but it's not in a format that the yeast is able to come in and consume to start the fermentation process. So the idea of malting is we're kind of cooking dinner for yeast. So we, we soak the barley seeds, we allow them to germinate, and when that happens, an enzyme uh, is created that converts the starch into a sugar that the yeast can eat and begin fermentation. So we soak our barley seeds, and we get them all nice and happy and hydrated and make them think that they're going to live long, happy lives as barley plants. <laughs> we viciously rip that hope away um, and uh, pump them into our, our I've molding. I've never heard it explained like that. So. <laughs> so, I'm so sad now. It's very savage. A bunch of motherless child. So yeah, so we, we soak them for about 24 hours, and then we pump them into this kiln, and it has a false floor, so we allow the seeds to germinate. And then when they're at that point where the enzyme is created, if we're creating the unsmoked, we'll pump that tank full of hot air, bring it to 180 degrees. We have our unsmoked malt uh, cut off germination. And if we're doing the mesquite smoked, we do light a mesquite fire, pump the tank full of smoke, bring it to 180 degrees. We have our mesquite smoked malt. So it's, it's in traditional fashion. Uh, we didn't have the footprint to be able to floor malt. Um, so just some ingenuity added. So to put that in frame of reference of like the tradition, like you have these malting floors, which is essentially these gigantic malting rooms, say we're in Scotland, and uh, it's basically a screen floor that they're pumping heat through to dry that, that barley after it's, it's started to germinate. So what that means is the difference between a seed and a sprout. Those, when she talks about enzymes, it's not a chemical, so, I mean, it is a chemical technically, but it's really the sprout of the grain itself is starting to, to go, the thing is you have to stop that sprouting because the sprouts will actually start to get entangled. They, they mm -hmm. will like uh, create long tendrils and then you can't really work with that. So that's... Funny good. story. Yeah, tell me um, a funny story. That's what we're here for. <laughs> so our malting and germination kiln was created and actually manufactured by a company out of Portland that no longer exists. Uh, so we collaborated with them. They were overrun them. by sprouts? Um, <laughs> maybe, possibly. Um, but when it happened that the malting and germination kiln did break and has broken a few times, we had to fabricate the parts that... Um, needed to be repaired. So at one point, uh, we have two big spiral augers that come down and kind of stir it like a, like a wooden spoon in a frying pan. 
and those stopped working and all of the barley completely <coughs> matted together. All the root, all the sprouts and rootstocks all just kind of joined in. Uh, and these two big iron augers that are about this thick around just totally snapped. So I got really good at welding. <laughs> I'm a really good welder, just in case you guys need any welding done. But anyway, so continue. No, that's really great. So you guys do the, the in-house smoking of the grain. Now, uh, how much grain can you do at a time when you're, when you're smoking that grain? How big is that, that flying saucer? So we, the flying saucer is about, it's about the size of this room to here. So here all the way this way. Um, we get in 56,000 pounds of barley seed at a time from the Four Corners area, um, and we are able to work through that entire 56,000 pounds in about four batches. So, if so that is this some idea. of this like Native American grown barley? Because Four Corners, there's a lot of reservations over there. My mom used to, you know, teach on the reservation out there, so I know that. Is it, are any of those farms Native American farms, you know? It's, so, it's I don't believe so. It's sourced from uh, a company called Rio Grande Seed, and they, they kind of act, if anybody's a wine person, they act as sort of a negociant for barley. Um, barley brokers. Barley brokers, exactly. Okay. Um, so we are, we're looking to source closer to Arizona, or excuse me, closer to, uh, to the distillery itself. Um, <laughs> do you mind if I talk about this for just a moment? Please. It's near and dear to my heart. So I'm fifth Come generation on. Arizonan barley farmer. Uh, my family's been there since right after the Civil War growing barley. So this is something that I try to like keep pretty pretty short. Um, <laughs> but so barley in the state okay of... To get emotional. <laughs> <laughs> I might cry a little. You're if anyone has a tissue, <laughs> I might need that. Wait, if you need a hug, I'm here. I will. I'm here for you, so... Um, so uh, cotton subsidies were removed from the Farm Bill about two and a half years ago nationally, and cotton was a huge crop for Arizona. So when cotton went away, everybody put barley in the ground, because barley's grown in Arizona and has been for the past century as cattle feed. Uh, in low-elevation desert, you have high-protein barley that functions really well for cattle feed. When you're distilling, you obviously need the opposite of that. You need high-starch barley. So not only would we be really convincing a farmer to completely lose a shirt by growing barley in the first place at this point, we'd also need them to reinvent the wheel to figure out a different watering and fertilization schedule. How do we get high-starch barley in low-elevation desert? So we do have a gentleman that's working on it for us. Um, he has kind of changed his path from agricultural feed to culinary. So he's growing all of these heritage varietals of barley and grain, et cetera. Um, and he has some test plots going for us. In the past, we've had farmers work for us, and it has not been high starch enough. So instead of fermenting, it rots, which uh, is a really cool smell that's still in my nose. And I can't oh, no. ever, ever get it out of my nose. So it uh, looks like by the end of the year, we, we will be sourcing barley from about 20 minutes outside of the distillery, which is exciting. That's really that's cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So then, um, what's your like batch size? How much whiskey can you produce in one day? In one work day. One work day. So that's an interesting question. Um, so we have a 500 gallon pot still that we work out of. Uh, we usually get get about 50 gallons of whiskey out of a 500 gallon pot still per batch. Give so or you take. Need to double the still, and so you're looking at about <laughs> five. I'm going to say you can do about two and a half barrels a day. Um, a little bit more than that. I would, I would give it closer to five barrels a day. Um, but it, I mean, it varies and it, it depends. Uh, something that we'll talk about a little bit later is the climate of Arizona. We're the only desert in the world that has two rainy seasons. Uh, so, given given the humidity, given the huge temperature fluctuations, sometimes we have 40 degrees between day and night. 
Um, there's a lot of independent variables. Temperature fluctuation, you mean? Yes. So really, really hot and then dropping 40 degrees at yes, night. Yes, it's pretty wild. And then in the humid times of year, that obviously suppresses evaporation and other types of things. But um, I, would, I would average it about five barrels, 30-gallon barrels. 30-gallon barrels. 30 okay, gallon so barrels. that was going to be my next question. Yes. I want to back up a little bit. What is the varietal of malted barley that you're using for this? So we went through a variety, and we landed on a two-row varietal called Genie. Um, it is the one that we've had the most success with in trying to create that high starch barley in low elevation desert. And in the meantime, while we've been working on that for the past two or three years, that's what we've been sourcing from the Four Corners region. Jeannie, so this yeah. barley has magical powers? It has magical <laughs> powers. Um, does it live so in, a, in a, like a cool little bottle? It does. <laughs> and it's all pink and gold. Yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> um, but what is special about that varietal? Do you know? Like, what, what's the... Because most of the industry say we're in Scotland, they're, I think they're buying, like, uh, Overture Concerto is the name of the varietal of the kind of mm -hmm. what everybody's using over there. Why, why Genie, do you know? So, I mean, the, the thing that is, it's always fun for me to talk about American single malt versus scotch is Scotland is a, is a relatively small country and the United States is obviously a very large country. We have a lot more climates, we have a lot more temperatures, a lot more uh, weather going on. Um, so Genie, just because we've, we've worked through a variety of other barleys that they were, they were high starch enough, um, we have really been enjoying the flavor that Genie provides. And that's sort of a debate that a lot of people have had over the years, whether or not the actual flavor of the barley comes through the distillation process, which after this tasting, I think, I mean, obviously in, in Speyside, the peat comes through. With us, the mesquite comes through. Obviously other components do come through and the barley does matter. Um, so for us, it's just the flavor that we've enjoyed the most and it's the one that's been the most consistent. And can you describe that? Okay, so Stephanie and Evan are gonna start to pass out some whiskey now. Can you just describe that? What is the flavor sure. profile that you're getting from the grain in your opinion? Um, like, is it a fruity thing? Is it is it a, a grassy thing? Like, how would you describe what that genie varietal is bringing to the table? It gives us, it kind of accentuates the creaminess. Um, it's a texture thing. It is, it is a little bit more of a texture thing. So it's creaminess and golden fruit. And that's obviously not just the barley. That's the, that's the aging. That's the style of aging. We're aging in new oak. So we've made the financial commitment to age in new oak casks with a number three char and a medium plus toast. So we're aging more like a bourbon. Um, we like the way that the new oak treats our juice. Um, and with that barley, again, it, it really kind of brings out the creaminess. Uh, one of the cool things about the classic, as you guys are sipping this, uh, so obviously this is with completely unsmoked malt. The classic is our totally unsmoked expression. However, like I said, everything that we do is under our own roof. Um, so our Rick house is inside and when we're mesquite smoking malt, I leave and I smell like the best campfire ever. So obviously those barrels are exposed to mesquite smoke. And while you're not getting smokiness in the classic, you do get a little bit of that mesquite influence, just a tiny bit. There's a sweetness and a spice there that's not from the American oak. Now, to go back to what you said before, you guys are using 30-gallon <laughs> barrels. So almost all the whiskey we've ever had in our lives is stored in 52, 53-gallon barrels. And you're using new oak, number three char. Are you seasoning the staves before you make the barrels? If so, how long? And then what do you think... How does that 30-gallon barrel, as opposed to the 52-gallon barrel, affect the flavor of the finished product? So we we use a cooperage out of Minnesota called the Barrel Mill, um, and we are not seasoning the oak because of how hot Arizona is. Um, we do obviously hydrate it, um, but they, they provide the number three char on the medium plus dose for us. Um, 
with uh, with the capacity, we are still a relatively young distillery. We've only had product on the market legally since 2013. Um, so uh, we just began the uh, we just begun the the conversion into 53 gallon casks. So we will get to that point. Uh, we had to work our way up. So uh, we've been in 30s for about a full year at this point. Uh, that's a lie. About two years at this point, and we just started bringing in 53s about three months ago. Um, so it, it will get to a point to where we're going to be able to let that sit for about four to five years. As it stands now, we're able to let it sit for about two to three. All right, so we have in our hands the Whiskey Delbach Classic, and it says unsmoked. Now, obviously, because you guys are kind of positioning yourselves as a distillery that's doing this unique process with the mesquite smoked whiskey, this is the only product in the line that doesn't have that smoke, so it's your unsmoked. Yes. Normally, you don't have to put it on the label if it's not in there. Yes. Right? That's in the, this case, you are doing yes, it. Yes, it, it eliminates some confusion. Uh, we are we really market ourselves as a Sonoran whiskey. That's we're, The whole goal of what we're doing is we want this to smell like a memory of Tucson in a glass. So we end up actually accumulating a lot of agave drinkers as well when we move into the smoke marks. Um, we, we have a lot of mezcal fans that really do tend towards our whiskey, so it's kind of this really interesting blurring of lines between agave and, and barley. I get that little hint of smoke that you're talking about. It's just like this nice, like, toasted grain. It kind of touches, yeah. It touches and it lifts off. And so now, again, this is, this is whiskey coming out of a 30-gallon barrel, guys. So the thing to look for here is, is a textural difference from the normal whiskey you drink, which is coming out of 53, 53-gallon barrel. Uh, the surface area of oak to whiskey is going to be much different. And the way that most people first detect that is on their tongues in terms of texture, not so much in terms of flavor. So is it oilier or is it drier than other whiskeys that you have? As you tap this over your tongue, allowing that, uh, that you know, experience to change. What are you getting, Evan? Super dry. Yeah. Super dry? Yeah. Yeah, it's like white wine. <laughs> I love that. She said it's like white wine. I heard that's like Chardonnay. That's actually, that's a really cool comparison. Because you have, with the American oak, you have all of that, that sort of baking spice. There's a little bit of apple pie that can come from that. And then Chardonnay, those are kind of the first golden delicious apple. Those are the first kind of indicators. So that's, I like that. I've never heard that before. That, yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Please don't drink it like wine. So just like sit down to dinner with a gigantic yeah. wine glass full of whiskey. It's one of the ones that like fits the whole bottle. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Salud. Yeah, this is really nice. I like the I like the texture on it a lot. It does have like this beautiful appley softness to it. Yeah, the creaminess definitely comes across. It's it's been fun. Um, we've we've done a lot of different sort of balances of blends throughout the years of, of just roast levels of our malt. This this one has been really special and kind of near and dear. It's been very just gentle. It's like this gentle sort of sort of ride that you go on with the classic, and it's yeah. Thank you. Eighty four proof, and that's on the classic there. If I was going to buy a bottle for my home bar, uh, do you know how much is running in the local liquor stores? Local liquor stores are selling classic for around forty nine a bottle. Wow. Where can you get it? And the other You can get it at Total Wine. Um, you will soon be able to get it at Ralph's. Oh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
variety of other sort of curated smaller shops around town for sure. Right on. <laughs> I still don't quite know what to do with that, but cool, guys. Everyone's just going to stampede out the door right now for Ralph's. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's yeah. got a hot bar, too. It's great. Chinese food, anytime you want it. Oh, great. Oh, um. So this next expression, uh, first of all, did you guys, as you were growing, because you've only been out for a couple of years now, uh, how did, what was the progression? Where did you start and at what point did you add these different expressions? So all three, the classic, the Dorado and the Clear came out at the same time. Okay. Um, the Distiller's Cut was released in September. We were never going to release a Clear Spirit. Um, I think for pretty obvious reasons. Uh, we didn't want to get lost in a, a sea of mason jars and a total wine somewhere. Um, but when that came off the still, and obviously that's what we're tasting at the end, it was so unique that we decided we wanted to play with it. We wanted to increase the tails content. So that's the end of the spirit run. It, it, they're these thick, viscous, creamy alcohols that really up the viscosity. Uh, it ends up tasting like this wild cross between a rum agricole and a mezcal with a creamy barley base. It's the weirdest thing you've ever had. I guarantee you if I put that blind in front of you, you'd have no idea what you're drinking. So we, we market it to cocktail programs. And actually, I know this, this seems like blasphemy, but it's, it's my favorite thing that we're producing right now. Um, it's, it's very bizarre. Um, it's actually something in the mezcal world, world, it's something that's very common, like to mix the feints in, the tails. You get those strange kind of more chemically tasting notes, but they seem to balance out with the fruitiness and the earthiness of the spirit mm -hmm. itself. And they use it, instead of using water to bring the spirit down to proof, they'll use the feints, they'll use the tails as a way to kind of like add complexity and dryness to the spirit. In my yeah. experience, you can speak that. No, way. exactly. And I mean, obviously this is something that nobody's ever done before. So we're, we're, we've played with it over the years to find our kind of happy medium, but Again, you, you have this, this weird like black olive, very verdant, very earthy, very green spirit that ends up with this creamy sweetness at the end. It's completely wild. So yeah. I know from other things that I've tasted, a lot of times when I'm getting those like olive notes, that mm -hmm. can come from the funky fermentation too. Mm -hmm. So are you guys approaching your fermentation with the same kind of creativity that you're doing with the smoking, the mesquite? With no, the barley? we're no. very boring with our fermentation. <laughs> you don't believe in the power of yeast? Um, you know, we do. And actually, in the beginning, we messed around with we messed around with spontaneous fermentation. Whoops, that wasn't a good idea. Um, and <laughs> the genie couldn't make that happen? No, no, no right. it couldn't. Um, we messed around with a bunch of champagne yeast. And at the end of the day, uh, we use Red Star Distillers Brews yeast. Distillers Brews yeast. yeast, yeah. Um, it, it creates uh, very predictable results. And it creates great flavors for what we're doing. But I mean, we're glycol cooled fermentation tanks. Uh, the smoked beer is not tasty. <laughs> the classic <laughs> beer is, is fine. But obviously, our <laughs> ultimate goal is, is whiskey. And I think we're making some pretty, pretty stuff. Cool. Yeah. And how long is that fermentation? It takes about four to five days. So um, when we stick the wort in the fermenters and pitch the yeast, uh, we're trying to get our beer up to around 7 to 9% ABV. Um, and again, it's no, you know, I don't know what the cool beer is right now. No Pliny the Elder, is that still the cool beer? Um, maybe not, but it's it's exactly what it needs to be for our purposes. So what is the uh, alcohol content of the beer that you guys are using to, to make the whiskey from? It's about 7 to 9%. Okay. Yeah. So Stephanie and Evan are coming around right now with the Dorado. 
the Del Bach Dorado. Uh, where did you come up with the name, or does it have any you know, special significance? The all of the naming and even the the name of the whiskey itself is representative of Tucson and how multicultural the area is. Um, so there's a lot of native tribes that live in that area. There's a lot of history. We're 30 minutes north of the Mexican border, so there's there's a ton of different kind of parts that come together. So the names all reflect that. Um, and then the title of the whiskey. Whiskey is obviously English. Del is Spanish for of the. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Bach is a is a Tohono O'odham term. So Tohono O'odham is they're a tribe that's lived in the area for hundreds of years, and it refers to the Santa Cruz River, and it means when the river reappears out of the sand. So uh, there's a. There's a desert phenomenon. That's okay. There's a there's a phenomenon in the desert where I don't know if, if you guys have ever experienced this, but rivers will disappear and run underground for maybe it's feet, maybe it's miles, and then they'll reappear back out of the ground. So that's exactly what the Santa Cruz does. It runs right past the distillery, it disappears, and it reappears about 10 miles down next to the San Javier del Bach mission, uh, which is this insane 16th century mission in Tucson. You guys got to come to Tucson. It's so great. <laughs> All right. I like that. I like that. Yeah. I'm down with the little Tucson visit. All right, so stick your nose in that glass. Barbecue, all right, yeah, that's what I want. I hear some food words, or they could be experiential. They could be colors. It does smell like a really big thing. Yeah, it does smell like ham. I get that, like a smoked ham. Yeah, there's a ton of salinity. So the salinity comes from our water. We're only charcoal filtering our water. So we Tucson water is great. There's so many cool things in there. So we do like the salinity that the desert provides, and obviously it plays with the mesquite. What's really great about this is for me, I don't think that the nose and the palate are necessarily representative of each other because you smell this and you don't quite know what to expect. And when you have that taste, both because of the mesquite itself and because of the varietal of barley and the aging, blah, 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 you have this sweet, creamy, beautiful palate that kind of touches off and ends up with a dry finish. Yeah. No, I'll take that. Yeah, so tap it over your tongue. Oh, it's so good. Thank you. I think so too. Well, it's funny you say, like, a lot of times I've noticed that when it comes to malted barley, the, the nose and the tongue can vary a lot. Like, there's a lot of times where your nose will lead you in one direction, your tongue will tell you something completely different, specifically when you're dealing with malted barley. Mm -hmm. This is definitely that. You get that really smoky ham, you know, but then it's very desserty on the tongue. You get that, like, nice creamy creme brulee thing going on. Really cool juxtaposition. It's fun. It's Evan, what are you getting, fun. buddy? Charcoal. Charcoal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like afterwards. It's, I get the ham, the meatiness. I get that, like, nice, like, barbecued meat, but afterwards it's just charcoal grill, which I, I like. I love that flavor. And that's, that's actually a lot what we're going for. For those of you that have been to, to Tucson and, I mean, pretty much everywhere in the Southwest where Mesquite grows, I mean, it's so insanely nostalgic. It's the second that summer happens and everybody's out of school, everybody lights up their grills with mesquite and they smoke corn over the top of it. And when it's Christmas time, everybody puts mesquite in their chimeneas in the backyard and you walk through the old barrio and it just smells like this incredible, beautiful mesquite. So it, it just, it represents... Time off and time with your family <laughs> and relaxing and holiday basically. Really, really nice. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Yeah. And we we had a couple of barley varietals that we worked with before. Scarlet was the main one. 
Um, and it didn't have it didn't have that roundness that this ends up having. So I think it's, that's that genie. That's it's that genie. Got a pretty unique. <laughs> that's that magic genie flavor profile here. Okay, so now we're gonna come around with the whiskey Delbach Distillers Cut Cask Strength Single Malt Whiskey. So this is really cool because in the world of like Irish and Scotch, it's really rare to find a single malt expression that is usually bottled at castor. It doesn't happen that often. So this is an American single malt, again, smoked with mesquite, but not cut down to proof. So as strong as it comes out of the barrels, what you guys are putting in the bottle. Yes, and actually a little, so there's variation on distiller's cuts. So every batch is completely different. Uh, the whole point of distiller's cut is that it's an exercise in the art of blending. Um, blenders in the whiskey world do not get nearly enough credit. I don't know if you guys have ever sat down at Maker's Mark for their blending workshop or if you've ever actually tried blending juices before. Um, it's we insanely... Did do, we did the Maker's 46 thing with David awesome. Coons in here. Like, That's awesome. Played around with a lot of these different... Um, uh, barrel staves and, and created a couple different barrel expressions. Yeah, so. it's uh, it's insanely hard, and you have to be a very talented. You actually just have to have the gift. You either have it or you don't. Uh, as a blender, it's the same as perfume makers, same as champagne houses. Um, it it is completely an art. So the whole point of this is that we're blending. Smoked, unsmoked, special finished casks in every different batch of distiller's cut. They're always varying sizes. We bottle them quarterly. Uh, so this one is definitely the most robust one that we've ever done. Uh, this has some of our Woodford finished casks included. Uh, and the one before this had our Madeira finished casks blended in with a little smoke. Uh, so that one was a little bit more whiskey, and this one's kind of whiskey. So um, <laughs> if you guys, obviously, the whole point of cast strength whiskey, the whole point of distillates in general is to find where you like it. The whole point of a distillate is to try it neat and then add a drop or two of water, add an ice cube, find the proof where you like it. As the producer, we're just suggesting a bottle proof that this might be where you like it. Maybe it's not. Maybe you like it at 70. You know, the whole point of cast strength is that you get to play producer, you get to play the distiller, you get to play the bottler, and you get to go from cast strength where we bottle it at 120, and you get to proof it down all the way and find where your sweet spot is. Maybe you like it neat at 120, maybe you, again you like it at 70. So it's it's all it's an adult chemistry experiment. <laughs> and remember, you can always call an Uber, guys. Okay, yes. so Ubers are everywhere and great. So 120 proof. Stick your nose in that glass and agree. Breathe really slowly through your mouth. If you just get fire, it just means you're going too fast. So slow it all down. Really take your time because it is so high proof. It's when you think about 20 proof points, that's 40% more alcohol. So, so this one was actually a larger batch that we did. This is the largest one that we've done so far. And this was the fourth batch that we've done. Um, the one that we just bottled, so again, this one's a little more robust. This has our bourbon finished casks. You have that vanilla, it's kind of, there's a little smoke underneath it. Um, the one we just bottled is our Calvados finish casks, blended in with a little bit of smoke. Um, it is a much smaller release, so it's French apple brandy. Um, and a lot of distillers, a lot of whiskey distillers in particular, stay away from apple anything because apple flavors can be indicative of something going wrong in the distillation process. So we were all, am I allowed to swear? We were all scared shitless when we were letting those cook. <gasps> 
we were all we were all terrified because we we didn't know there were two huge there were two huge 53 gallon casks that were cooking and that's a lot of whiskey to dump down the drain if it tastes gross and it ended up being one of the most beautiful whiskeys I've ever put inside of my mouth so I'm excited for you guys to try that uh, 60 bottles are coming to the state of California um, just 60 it was a very small batch <laughs> I'm sure we can get it for you guys don't yeah. worry <laughs> so what are you guys getting as you tap that over your tongue though 120 proof like for me that higher alcohol content pushes the flavor profile forward for me the upper proof whiskeys are actually easier to taste a lot of times than say like an 80 proof whiskey because those are so watery yes um this for me i'm getting like that graham cracker really intense woodiness right at the top like really really so yeah so i see some people are adding water so one thing that's fun to do when you're drinking such a high proof spirit try it neat Add a drop of water, and, and seriously, one drop. If you stick your finger in the glass and just do one drop, see what, how much it'll open. It's amazing. When it's this tiny bit of whiskey, one drop will do huge uh, dilution to such a yeah. small amount. Um, every, every proof point that you move down, there's going to be entirely new facets of flavor. Every single proof point. What else are you guys getting? Is he tapping over your tongue? What else is coming through? You know those, like, chocolate orange? Yeah, I'd say that's a great call. It's got a great chocolate. Is there is citrus there for sure? For sure, for sure. You know what's a little a little crazy for me? I can I can go really loud if you guys want me to. I'm small, but I can boom. Um, sorry on the microphone. Um, so what's what's crazy about this one to me is that when you do taste it neat, it has such a dry finish, and it's it's you can tell that there's definitely wood on this. But as you proof it down, that that dryness actually lifts a little, and it becomes a lot more creamy, and you actually get a, a bit more of a roundness as you move down in proof. So that's kind of a funny, weird little phenomenon that happens. Yeah, it's that small thirty-gallon barrel with such a high-proof, undiluted spirit coming out of it. It is really tannic. It's yep. very drying to the back Smacky. of the palate. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so now uh, Evan's going to come around with the fourth mark here. We don't have enough glasses for everyone to have uh, four, so present Evan with an empty glass, please. I would Jeez. use your classic glass. Yes, yeah, so you have to choose yeah. a, a whiskey to, uh, to empty. If you remember which one it was. Don't have to drink it. <laughs> but you do have to show him an empty glass. <laughs> So keep in mind with this guy that we are creating this to blend. That is something that I do like to tell people. And again, as you move down in proof points, this does the creaminess really accentuates. But this is a cocktail-driven spirit. Interesting. And so this might be something you'd use in a punch or an old in a fashion? in a punch for sure. And there's a lot of not. I mean, there's there's so many applications. Um, there's a variety of flavors that really unlock the mesquite smoke in this, and they're surprising. It's sort of. Um, have you guys ever seen ratatouille? You know when he has the strawberry and the cheese, and there's like a little party above his head. Like when you add, when you add coffee or chocolate or strawberry, there's certain flavors that really unlock the mesquite smoke, and it creates an entirely new flavor that shouldn't be there. It smells like mezcal to you. What else are you guys getting? I got butter over here. What else? Mm. Corn nuts. Corn yeah. nuts. Yeah, it smells like cereal to me. Beautiful cereal. It smells very salty. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Grape nuts. Like, it smells like grape nuts. Yeah. Popcorn. Beautiful. So our mash bill is consistent all the way across the board. So all roast level is consistent. We're 100% barley in every single mark that we make. So this is the safest 
This is the exact same distillate as Dorado, just with more tails included back in. So more tails. Wow. Which will kind of lend to that mezcal thing that she's talking exactly. about, the, the more faints in there. And it's... Absolutely, it does. It's it's really fun to taste this side by side with the Dorado because you can really, I mean, you know what American oak adds to whiskey, and you know that it's important for the process. But when you have all of that caramel, all that baking spice, all that sometimes coconut, vanilla, all of that stripped away, this is what the spirit is without that wood influence. So it really makes you realize how much of a, a part of the process the barrel plays. Pretty wild. Yeah, it's like Rome Agricole. Yeah, you're right. Yes, I I get a ton of black olive off of this guy. Yeah, ton yeah, of black, black olive. Olives. They're great brineers. Yeah. So this is just uh, the new make with that whiskey process you were telling us about. It's it's new make with more tails included than the Dorado. But yeah. it's not it's not re rested or aged at all. No, this this comes out of the still. We proof it to 90. We bottle it. It it goes on its way. We do. Using the tails to bring it down to proof. We do like to let this sit in bottle um, for a while before we ship it out to producers. Just because we're kind of experimenting with it. Okay, um, so this is something really interesting that she's bringing up right now. She says that for this clear spirit, they like to let it rest in glass or stainless steel before they let it rest in the bottle before shipping it. Why? It tends to mellow out and blend the flavors. Imagine like lasagna that you made the day before and it's been in the fridge. I know lasagna is kind of a gross analogy for whiskey, but it's, 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 it's like soup. It's like day before soup and all of the flavors tend to meld. And it's something that I don't know if there's been any proven science behind, but a lot of mezcal producers do do the same thing. They'll let age in glass, they'll let it sit in glass, they'll let it sit in stainless. There is science too. So what's happening is you're, as in the distillation process, you're breaking all these compounds apart mm -hmm. and very right away they will taste very spiky on the tongue those mm -hmm. are the broken compounds they're like shorter chains yeah. of molecules as they oxidize and rest those light compounds will bond back together again and that will create more of what we consider to be a smooth texture when uh, molecular chains bond that mm -hmm. gives you the lymph that we equate to linger, yeah. as opposed to when it's fresh off the still, it'll be so spiky that it almost will be granular tasting on and your it, tongue. And it is, and you know, we, we've released, we, we have the faith that it'll sit in the bottle for long enough before it gets to consumers, but when we've released earlier batches, it hasn't kind of had the same acclaim. So we usually let it sit for about three to four months. It's not even, it's not that long. Um, but yeah, that's, that's awesome. Resting in glass really does kind of create a more cohesive spirit. Um, and it's just, it's, I think it's really pretty. Evaporative condensation. Love it. <laughs> and so I've got a question here. Um, do you guys offer tours at this facility then? Does Hamilton Distillery have tours? Yes, we do. Right. Uh, so we have tours every Saturday. Um, our, our website is hamiltondistillers.com and you can sign up. Also, um, unfortunately, I had a big box of business cards in my bag, and I had a bottle of whiskey break on top of them. And instead of making them scratch and sniff, it made all of the words bleed off of my business cards. So um, if you want to come and see me when we're done here, uh, I also will give people tours not on tour day. Um, I love showing people around what we do because it is so unique and it's so special. So I'll give you my cell phone number, and if you ever are in Tucson, uh, I'd love to host you. Yay! <laughs> All right. Got your Arizona contingent. Yes, I love it.
I'm with you, dude. So guys, let's give it up to Dale Riggins from Delbach Whiskey, Hamilton Distillers in Tucson, Arizona. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show is produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget. Drink to remember. Remember.